Hello. <laughs> okay, you start. You Hello. introduce this. This is the Cold Pizza Party Podcast. My name's Adam. I'm Lubitsa. And uh, we talk about stuff. This week we're going to talk about stuff. Uh, normally we talk about TV or politics, but I don't know what we're talking about this week. Mostly pol- like political stuff. Okay. Call it a politics episode. But it's not like one topic like we do a lot of times. Yeah, okay. We had a TV episode that got lost in the editing process and crashed. Um, didn't have the heart to start over, but maybe next week or something. Okay, so... So what do you have uh, to talk about? So I came across the fact... I have a few different things I want to talk to you about, obviously, like I said. One of them is about Vermont. One of them is, like, free speech on campus stuff, which is just something we talk about a lot that I have really strong feelings on. I don't have strong feelings on it. Well, anyway, I'll talk about it then. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing that I came across was this article that said that Vermont's governor vetoes recreational pop bill. Oh, really? Yes. So, in May, I think on my birthday, actually. Who's the governor? Shumlin? Well, hold on. Okay. So, in May, yes, May 10th. We're we're extra upset because we used to live in Vermont for a year. Yes. So, May 10th, the legislature... Let's see, I think it's, yes, yeah, 79 to 66 passed a bill that was the first bill to be passed in the nation that was totally pro-recreational use. It wasn't, like, regulated in the way that, like, I guess the other ones are or whatever. I, I don't, I know, no. because Colorado, I don't know. Yeah, I'm that's, looking at you confusedly. I know, but that's what... I mean, we went to Colorado, we went to Washington. Colorado was very regulated couldn't yeah. do it outside i think uh, a lot of that's what the burlington free press says so okay. i assume they know what they're talking about so they about. were going further whatever it is yes. exactly they're talking about yeah they going i further. feel like they were basically like this is chill like mm-hmm. like drinking like anything else i think is what the idea was or even less loss than drinking maybe yes that's nice but then like i said the Republican governor vetoed it. Oh, Republican governor. That's right. Oh. I was going to say, who is the governor now? Not Shumlin anymore. Who probably would have vetoed it anyway. Okay, but Shumlin lost to a Republican. That's crazy. After he endorsed Bernie Sanders, uh, I mean, refused no, to endorse yeah. Bernie Sanders, endorsed Hillary Clinton against the senator from his, from own, his state, own state. Yeah. And you remember the health care controversy, I'm sure, where, uh-huh. well... The legislature basically passed single pair. Also, the first state to pass, yeah, yeah, single pair for their state or nation. Yeah, they said Shumlin's office basically said, oh, "Okay, yeah, absolutely, we just need to study it." Mm-hmm. They did a big study. It's just gonna take some time. We'll work on it. Well, they, yeah, they basically did a big study that was supposed to come out before the re-election effort. They. He convinced everyone that it needed to be pushed off until after the election. Until after he got elected. He got reelected on the assumption that a Democratic governor will surely mm-hmm. enforce the will of the people and the Democratic-run yeah. legislature. And then he said, no, it's too expensive. We're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was not too expensive. But he didn't want to do it because he's a corporate Hillary bot mm-hmm. shill. And then all throughout the primary with Hillary and Bernie... People pointed to Vermont and said, even in Bernie Sanders' home state, 
they couldn't do single payer. So how do you think and, we could do it for America? And the oh look, the governor doesn't support Bernie. You know, like yeah. they also use that to cast out on like his character and stuff. It was like the people who know him the best don't you know yeah. don't support. Yeah. When yeah. when really the story is that Bernie had to fight Democrats all the way through and still to this day apparently. Yeah, and really the story is as a result of that. In a state where we listen to, like, on VPR, Vermont Public Radio, we listen to uh, Republicans go on there and talk about how they actively distance themselves from national Democrats. National Republicans. uh, Republicans. And how they try to, they know, like, they're not going to have, like, a majority, but they, like, try to just win a little, a few more seats here and there where they can Mm -hmm. and stuff. He managed to lose to a Republican in this state. Yeah. <laughs> Stay yeah. with a socialist Democrat as a senator. Yeah. Like a wide margin of Democrats running. I mean, to be fair, the governorship has gone back and forth more than mm-hmm. certainly the legislature Vermont used has. to be a Republican state. And I think a lot of people think of Vermont as a hippie state, but those a lot of those are people who moved from Massachusetts and other New England states to and Vermont also those in the past few decades are like in Burlington and Montpelier yeah but you go to like the Northeast Kingdom and mm-hmm. it's all like gun loving mm-hmm. rural people and but it's really rural in Vermont when be, it's rural it's yeah, really rural. it's really rural but to be fair the Republicans in Vermont are generally more like libertarian like mm-hmm. they don't like one of the things they talk about is like we're not birthers back in the day. They were big on pointing that out. They weren't, you know... They're not even as crazy as, like, New Hampshire. Yeah, they're not... Yeah, they're, like, not against abortion. So, like, in this case, he's... Like, this governor says that he looks at it through a libertarian lens, so he's not against, like, weed legalization or whatever. Then how did he justify it? Because he said... Though he said he views the issue through a libertarian lens, Scott vetoed the bill. He said, I'm not going to act that way. (laughs) Due to concerns about detecting and penalizing impaired drivers, protecting children, and the role and makeup of the Marijuana Regulatory Commission. Okay. So it doesn't, none of those specifics really matter. Yeah, exactly. If if it wasn't those specifics, we would find some other specifics. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens next. But I thought it was very interesting. Both because it just showed, mainly, I mean, I would love for weed to be legal in Vermont because it, like, basically already is. (laughs) No, like, for real, like, come on, compared to, like, at least in Burlington, like, compared to anywhere else, like, the cops might take your weed, but that's about it. Like, you're not getting in trouble. Like, the vibe of the cops in Vermont is way different than anywhere else. And the culture of Vermont is so much about being outdoors in nature. Yeah, and it's like, being free to do your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so, just practically, when you're outdoors at a swimming hole that you have to walk through the woods to get to, like. Yeah, and you're the only one at the swimming hole who's yeah. going to tell you not to smoke weed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, more interesting to me was the fact that Shumlin lost his governorship because he didn't have to at all and if he had worked for single-payer health care and passed it i mean the only reason he got reelected in the first place because he was not that popular to begin with was because people thought he was going to implement single-payer and then when he fell through on that and like shit all over bernie Mm -hmm. that's it people were done with him they were just like forget it we'll try a republican you know so anyway i thought that was really interesting and i hope that I mean, it won't be a lesson for other moderate Democrats, but it really should be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And everybody wants to blame, like, the people that wouldn't stand up and vote for Shumlin, presumably, for things like this. But really, you were in charge. You were the leader. 
you're leading the party in Vermont. If you fail, it's on you. Yeah. It's not on... You shouldn't, like, yell that people should have voted for you when they didn't want to. Yeah. You should have made them want to vote for you. Also, I mean, they still have a Democratic majority in the legislature yeah. and in most, like, city councils and so stuff like that. So presumably people still turned out to vote. They just didn't vote for him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They turned out to vote, and they voted in their local Democratic or independent, like, socialist, in some cases, mm-hmm. representatives, but they didn't vote for a Democrat to be governor because they were sick of his bullshit (laughs) okay so i thought that was kind of an interesting little microcosm story there uh so the other thing i wanted to talk to you about is like free speech on campus okay okay so i am very open to admitting that i don't know everything about this topic and i'm definitely not an expert but i feel like i have a point of view that i never hear like expressed anywhere else or reflected back at me and we've got this podcast so i'm gonna put my point of view out there okay Okay. committed to tape yeah so well why don't you start what do you think about free speech on campus i don't care i think it's such a waste of time to argue about really yeah um when we listen to somebody like freddie DeBoer or angela nagel is it angela yeah angela nagel yeah um and they're saying this isn't like a real politics. Um, what are their other like main criticisms? I find it persuasive like in the moment when I'm reading it, but I still don't really care. Um, okay, I get really annoyed and I care. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, because, okay, basically here's my point of view. A campus is a unique community, Okay. It is very different from, like, living in the suburbs or a city or wherever else because pretty much in on most campuses, most students live on campus. Some of them work on campus. You're going to school on campus. I mean, it's a very intertwined community. People are elected onto leadership positions on campus by the student body. It's like very direct democracy if you're interested in that, you know. And so it's just a really, really unique environment that is unlike any other space in our, in our lives, in our country. So normally when we think about going to school, we go to school to learn stuff, to try stuff out. It, it is, I mean, people hate this term and I do too at this point, but it is kind of generally a safe space school or we would like schools to be safe spaces and not in the sense that no one's feelings can get hurt but just Just in in... the sense that republicans are not allowed (laughs) no just in the sense that it's a place where you try stuff out and if you fuck up or you mess up it's okay because this is where you're supposed to learn to do things differently or better or worse or whatever right so I, for example, like I would go to these like um, protests against the Iraq war, like every Saturday that were like right off campus. And, you know, I liked going to them and it was like we would all go down or, you know, we'd see friends like it was good for even the community was getting involved. And that was like really great. But at the same time, like when I look back on it as like an organizer, like Mm. 
you know, we could have just been part of like a parade. Like no one cared. We yeah. weren't doing anything that was going to change anything. It didn't matter. So there that were, was a good experience. There were people from the town who would drive by and give you the finger or honk. Yes, for sure. Like regularly. Yeah. <laughs> but but still, we weren't doing anything to actually most, create yeah. change. So that was like, to me, like that was, what? I wouldn't do that. As soon as I learned, as soon as I started working, even as a campus organizer, I always tried to immediately connect the action, like whatever they wanted to do to like a direct like action. Like how are we going to create change like as a, a result of this? Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, like to, so if we're going to turn out to stand in front of some building to protest or whatever, yeah, what's the exact ask? What What's the outcome we want directly from this, right, to lead yeah. us to the next step so we keep moving forward? And it's not something like where we just go every Saturday and hang out for a few hours, <laughs> yeah. and then we all go get lunch together, and then we, yeah. you know, go on with our day. And then maybe if enough people in, like, fourth-tier Pennsylvanian cities do this, you know, across the country. <laughs> yeah, change will well, happen. I mean, when it came to fracking, but like that's I like, did, that's like the um, implied goal of just going out and protesting, like you were, is just hoping that enough people do this and the government pays attention and changes its mind. Yeah, that's not really productive. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. But my point here is just that that was like exactly what needed to happen. I tried something out. It, it was not good. And then I learned from it so that when I became an adult and went out into the real world and tried to do activism, I knew how to do it better, right, than what I'd experienced as a college student. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about, like, this free speech stuff. Like, people get so upset that, like, oh, these students the shouted down... Yes, shouted down Charles Murray or turned their back on Betsy DeVos. Oh, that was in Vermont, too. Middlebury. Yeah, Middlebury. Or, um, you know, uh, they... Something happened in Evergreen that conservatives are pissed about. But if you didn't see conservatives, you I have no idea what happened there. Yeah. I just know they were mad. And I scrolled through Twitter, Twitter trying to figure it out. But all I saw were, you know, conservative pieces about how, oh, at Evergreen, they want to ban white people. So something was happening at Evergreen State University. You don't know what it was, do you? No. No. I don't know either. Conservatives are upset, but they're the only ones talking about it. So when I scrolled through Twitter trying to see what was going on, all I learned is that they want to have a day at Evergreen where just white people aren't allowed. Oh. I'm sure that's not true. (laughs) I have no idea what they're actually asking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But that's what I mean. But who cares? Because that's like... Even if that was what they wanted. That's Evergreen State. It's a One community yeah. that's unattached to any other community. And the only people who go there are people who want to go to a school like that. It's, yes, exactly. It's, yeah, it's been like very left for decades. Exactly. Or like if, you know, like the kids at Berkeley don't want Bill Maher yeah. to speak because he's completely Islamophobic. Yeah. That's okay. It's like, Berkeley. Of course they don't want to listen to Bill Maher. But also, like, he has freedom of speech in that he gets to say what he wants and believes, and he yeah. has a giant platform to do oh, it. Oh, yeah. And these students are allowed to exercise free speech mm-hmm. back by saying, we don't want this. Yeah. In, and it's in also... their little zone that they control. Exactly. And it's also a unique community in that, in, in a way, they're paying all the taxes, right? They are paying all the tuition. They're funding everything that happens in their school. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't they have a say 
in how the money is used because does I imagine Bill Maher doesn't show up for free. Yeah. You know? Why should their money go towards something they don't believe in? Like, I actually think that's good training for, again, like what happens when you're an adult and you actually go out into a community? Because you're never going to be able to stop someone from coming to like your town. Well, I guess Kianga Yamada Taylor had to like not come to Seattle. Yeah, that's another thing people don't talk about. The real issues with free speech on campuses, it's really leftists getting death threats like she did. Or when uh, a few years ago, the woman wanted to talk in Gamergate, sent death threats, and they had to cancel her because they were afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're a pro-Palestinian professor, you could get fired. Yeah. 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 I think the left is generally actually more attacked still. Yeah. But also, like, in most cases, like, if I don't want someone to come to College Station as an adult... There's nothing I can do about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I can organize, we can protest, we can get some coverage by the paper, but that person's still going to be able to come, especially if it's like a yeah private function well, or event or whatever. Yeah. It was R- Richard Spencer came here a few months back, and uh, there were students who wanted to organize to prevent him from coming. He was invited by, I think, we think, an alumnus? Yeah, I think so. To come speak to a, like a club yeah. on, on campus and do it in a campus building. And a lot of students wanted to organize and protest and stop it from happening. But instead, like the dean's idea was, instead, let's throw like this a huge event. Free speech zone. <laughs> yeah. We'll throw this event in the stadium. And instead, everybody come to the stadium. And that's how we'll show that we reject Richard Spencer. Because we'll go to this other event Yeah. in the stadium. See, it's really stupid when you have to follow what like yeah. the administration thinks is a good yeah. idea. When he was in charge, he could yeah. have just said, no, you're right. Like Instead, they did this weird thing that I'm sure was meant to make donors and like to try to satisfy everybody. Because this is a conservative yeah. school. They don't want donors to pull out because they think the left is running Texas A&M now. As if it ever could. But... Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, they called it like a unity rally. But that's what I mean. Like, in most instances, it's like administrators and people who are thinking about like money and donors and stuff like that making the decision to bring in a big name like Charles Murray yeah. or Betsy DeVahas or Richard Spencer or Bill Maher or whoever the person is mm-hmm. because they're thinking, oh, this will bring prestige to our school, this big name coming to our school. Yeah. And then it's the students responding back with free speech by saying, no, like, we don't want that, you know? And what's wrong with protesting against the people who have all the power? Bill Maher has power, the administrators have power. Mm -hmm. The people with the least power here are the students, and yet the people who get attacked the most in these stories are students. Yeah. You know? I think any time that we are attacking young people for having the instinct to go up against powerful people and institutions that that's the wrong way to go mm-hmm. you know like yeah. that really it's i'm very suspect of that especially because i've taken like a couple you know classes in college myself including one about like chinese history that was all about student-led protests and movements that changed history that changed the country mm-hmm. obviously we can imagine in china Tiananmen, Tiananmen square being the biggest yeah but, but there's even, actually been a long history oh, yeah. of way that. before the before the maoists took over yeah and yeah it was like even under students led the movement that was like became sun yat-sen's movement yeah, yeah yeah so 
I don't, I don't, and, and there are instances of that all over the world of students leading the change that ultimately takes a country into a more progressive direction. Yeah. So that's also why I'm very skeptical of this idea that we should somehow stamp out these students' instincts to rebel, you know, to yeah. fight against the system that they've been put into. Yeah. To criticize, uh, what college was it that didn't want Bill Maher? You said Berkeley? I think so. I don't remember. Let's say it was. Sure. He's a comedian. Yeah. It's not like he's showing up to give some political speech and we should all listen to what his politics are. He has a, yeah, he has a point of view, but first and foremost, he's a comedian. Yeah. If you just don't want your college to spend a bunch of money to bring Bill Maher there, why should they? I was annoyed that our college spent a bunch of money to bring Wayne Brady, yeah. and he's like the most unoffensive, uh, no. affable, whatever guy, but yeah. it was like, why are we paying this much money for Wayne Brady yeah. to come here? We have no, I'm positive there are better ways we could spend this we money. We know literally nobody who went to Yeah, see that. exactly. He must have played for like 100 or 200 people who like don't drink in college. Yeah, they like the better to cr- do. Christian athletes. Yeah, something. and I think they paid him at least 50000 Yeah. I think it was maybe more. But that's enough to send a few scholarship kids to school for free for exactly. a year. Yeah. So why, exactly, so why shouldn't people be allowed to stand up and say, fuck this, no, we don't want Wayne Brady? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I just honestly, like, when I hear people talk about this, and, and I guess, okay, so people expand it further because they say, well, it's not just students shutting down protests. Okay, so let's, I, I'll agree with me in that. <laughs> Maybe you agree with me, too. I think that those are good instincts that we want um, students to have the instinct to become uh, civically engaged. You're talking about like the instincts to just like to seize some measure of power in their communities, right? Yes, and to use protests, free speech, all of the the means that are available to them yeah, to, to like shape the world around the them. Occupy the offices of yeah, the administration. Yeah, to shape until they the have world around them, them, right? In this yeah. case, it's a campus. But then, what's the point of sending kids to college? So they can be leaders, right? Because we have a democracy where some people become leaders. That's part of the idea. I'm not saying it's the only way that people can become leaders in a democracy, obviously. I'm just saying that is theoretically one of the well, reasons why we yeah. sent, especially a liberal arts education. And apparently when people go to Harvard or Amherst, whoever mm-hmm. was talking about that, they tell you, you are the future leaders of the world, mm-hmm. like on orientation. So don't we want those kids to already start to learn how to engage in shaping the world around them and, you know, using their civic rights to create a better, more equitable future, a more inclusive future. You know, when people decide that they don't want Richard Spencer at their school, maybe they have, like, friends or they've just seen classmates that are, you know, Muslim. Yeah. Or in this case, I'm sure also a lot of, like, Latino kids that yeah. maybe don't want... Or when Milo, They want their uh, fellow students to feel safe, maybe. When people stopped Milo from coming to their school. Yeah. Maybe that was Berkeley. Maybe I, it was, that, that was, was Berkeley. Berkeley, yeah. They thought that... Supposedly, he was going to come out and name names of people that were Well, he was already, I think even before the speech, encouraging people to actually like call ICE on students they suspected of being yeah. undocumented. So it was already creating violence and fear and yeah. an unsafe environment in yeah. the school. And he was doing that with his speech. So if they want to ban their speech together to stop him from... You know, exactly from making assume the stage and talk to and everybody. from making their community unsafe yeah you know 
that's what I'm saying. So that's one aspect of it. Now, some people say, oh, no, where it's really gone too far is in the classroom because right. kids don't want to hear anything uh, that will offend their points right. of view. And so now professors are, have to watch what they say and they have to use trigger warnings uh, or create a safe space for students or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that is threatening to, like, intellectual development of students on campus or whatever right that's another area where people say free speech has gone too far Mm -hmm. right so i was trying to look up some examples of this and now of course this is a story that supports my point of view because i found it but also it's literally the first story that came up so is it about (laughs) christians refusing to follow the syllabus no this is a story about uh Reed College, actually, in Portland, Oregon. So we're really pandering to our (laughs) audience. Um, No, but actually this just happens to be what came up. So it says, uh, Reed College, a small liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon, attracts students who want to speak their mind. But when Jeremiah True wouldn't stop talking about his controversial opinions on sexual assault in his required freshman humanities course, his professor banned him from the discussion segment of the class for the remainder of the semester. The 19-year-old told BuzzFeed News that his reporter, Pancho Savory, um, warned him repeatedly that his views made his... You said his reporter? His professor. His professor, did I say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The 19-year-old told BuzzFeed News that his professor, Pancho Savory, warned him repeatedly that his views made his classmates uncomfortable before... He told him in a March 14th email that he was no longer welcome to participate in the conference section of his Humanities 110 lecture seminar class. Please know that this was a difficult decision for me to make and one that I have never made before. Nevertheless, in light of the serious stress you have caused your classmates, I feel I have no other choice, Savory wrote in an email obtained by BuzzFeed News. This should happen all the time. There are always kids who constantly (laughs) want to share their opinion. That just rouse other people up. And yeah. We should, they, professors should start banning students from participating in class discussion. Okay. Willy-nilly. All over the um, place. So a lot of people have used this to say, oh, look at these snowflakes. They can't handle, like, um, you yeah. know, controversial opinions. Descent from their cultural Marxism. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, but it turns out that actually, uh, if you look a little further, more details came out. Um, that paint the conference in a somewhat different light. Maud Griffin says that True, the student, began class abruptly and loudly in an angry tone, reading the honor principle, stating how no student should face a hostile environment and demanding an apology of only female members of the class, despite (laughs) the equally strong reaction from the male ones. Uh, In a follow-up with reason... uh, Reasons Bobby So Robbie Sove, whatever. Robbie um, Suave. Suave. Okay, yeah. Um <laughs> You're not familiar with your reason pundits. You know I should because we've actually heard him talking on Chapo and yet I've already <laughs> forgotten him. Oh, is that who that was? Yeah. Uh so but actually here uh, I agree with him because apparently he spoke further to people about True's speech. So because he knew that Savory is known for being an ardent defender of free speech, which makes his apparent decision to remove True from class all the more baffling. I was curious about the context of True's remarks, 
While students should be able to speak up about controversial subjects, they aren't allowed to hijack classroom conversations and steer them wildly off track. If True was rowdy, interrupted other students, or veered off topic, that would have been another matter. Savory declined to comment to BuzzFeed News, but I was able to reach him via email. He confirmed that he was a strong believer in the First Amendment and maintained that the students' views were not the issue. He was not banned because of what he said, but a series of disruptive behaviors. Okay, and lest you think... <laughs> One more. Sorry, I know it's long. But... Well, I still don't understand what happened. Is, are you getting to that? Uh, well, basically... It what says... was this kid doing? He was basically hijacking the conversation and trying to monopolize the time. And so he wanted all the women in class to apologize to him? I guess because he thought the women were the reason that he was being asked not to speak in the conference section of class any okay. longer. Well, why was he... Are you getting to why he was asked not to speak? Well, yes, a little okay. bit here. Uh, so... Um, this guy who's writing the article says, I've taught for more than 20 years and I've never had to kick a student um, out for disruptive behavior, but I don't know if I've ever had a student like Jeremiah True. Both reasons Suave and insider, Inside Higher Ed's Caitlin Mulhiri tried to contact him and get his side of the story. True's response to both of them bolsters the disruptive behavior thesis, according to Mulhiri. True declined to be interviewed Thursday. When contacted via email, he responded that he would only answer questions if the first word in the article was the N-word. <laughs> Inside Higher Ed refused to make such a comment that he declined to talk. <laughs> so obviously this kid is a giant asshole yeah. and was like probably very, very difficult. But he gets, this case gets cited as a case of like how like snowflakes have gone awry and are too sensitive and professors are, you know, being restricted in their ability to speak because... Mm -hmm. I think yeah. just like we were saying, like these colleges, like if Evergreen State or whatever wants to have a day where only black students are allowed on campus, that's yeah. their choice. Just like this. If this professor decides that he cannot have the students speak in class anymore, that's fine. Yeah. You know, because we don't I think like people, it, I don't know, I feel like it's a meme that just like keeps growing and growing and growing. But the things people tack on don't aren't necessarily connected to each other you know because yeah. colleges aren't aren't really connected to each other like i didn't know what was going on at any other college the whole time we were in school you know yeah and i didn't care you know so i don't know i i think it's like interesting that like obviously a lot of professors i've heard both professors and adults complain that professors now have to like give trigger warnings in class and stuff like that you know, I think that that's fine. Fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's good to be inclusive of all students, you know? Yeah. And also, it like frees you up to teach anything because you could bring in a video of ISIS beheading people and just say, look, not everybody has to watch this, but yeah. we're talking about, you know, ISIS in our class. So it's on the syllabus. Yeah. And also, or like, we watch... know that people have different experiences before they come to college. Like, there was, like, a student in one of my classes who was older who had been a soldier in the Iraq War. There are other people who I'm sure came with, you know, some experiences of sexual assault or whatever else. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about different things, if the student, if either one of those students is, like, prone to PTSD, for example, or whatever, mm -hmm. I think at minimum, the the 
easiest thing in the world is to just say, today we're going to be talking about female genital mutilation. Yeah. Or next week we'll be talking about it. So if you know that you have some kind of issue or sensitivity, or I don't know, if you've been a victim of that, you don't that, you don't need to come to class that day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it's okay. I don't understand what, how that disrupts professors from in fact i had a professor i had a class about global feminism and we talked about female genital mutilation and you know she said before the class next week we're going to be talking about this if anybody has any issues don't worry about it you don't need to come to that class Mm -hmm. and that was it was that disruptive to the class was that disruptive to our discussion did everybody still show up to class of course they did because none of us had it we were all like white midwesterners we didn't have any like experience with it but you know, if someone wanted to or whatever, that's fine. I think it's just a way to make people feel included. Yeah. I think we're coddling these millennials too much. They shouldn't be included at all. No discussion in class. We're just going to sit you down and play newsreels from the 50s. And that's what college is now. Yeah. I just think a lot of people imagine that, like, forget that there are, like, students who are soldiers and stuff like that who might really have some yeah. tr- actual triggers, like, that's because true. of PTSD, you yeah. know? I mean, and, that's why it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea that we're just going to be like, oh, no, fuck you. I mean, yes, we forced you to go fight in a war that's absolutely absurd. And now you're finally able to, like, come home and mm-hmm. start a new life. But, no, yeah. fuck you. If you're you're too sensitive of a snowflake if you expect us yeah. to consider your possible triggers as yeah. a result of what this country love, put you through. I love that conservatives are so sensitive they hear that professors are warning people about the content of what they're teaching them. And they're like, I don't want to live in this world anymore. Yeah. We got to change things. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. That's, I guess, is there anything else that I'm missing about this issue? Like, um, I was going to try to give you a counter argument a while back. Um, like you were talking about, um, I feel like we're just agreeing with each other, but maybe. yeah, you were talking about getting, um, specific speakers off of campus and you were talking about it in, in terms of like this is good training for their, their life outside of campus which you've told me before I like that argument I haven't heard that before but I think you're ignoring the there is a political dimension to it when you make that argument so they aren't doing it to get Wayne Brady out so that they can free up that money and do something more productive with it. That's true, right? They're doing it because they really don't want to listen to what Charles Murray has to say. And that is a political, uh, it's a political choice to do it to conservatives almost exclusively, if not completely exclusively. So I think you're kind of ignoring that in your argument. And that's the real criticism from conservatives because they actually don't feel included that's why it upsets them. Yeah, but again, they if college like is supposed ostracized. to be like a training stop before the real world, if there's a conservative coming to speak in our town and I don't want to go, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to listen yeah, to Yeah, but them. you're not going to show up and shout them down, probably. I might. It depends who it is. Yeah. Richard Spencer is getting punched in the face by not college students, I'd imagine, yeah. actually. You know? Yeah. But what about the argument that, well... But why shouldn't, okay, if your consequences are, I mean, if you're 
viewpoints are such bullshit as Charles Murray's are and have been used your arguments to yeah. inflict real pain and suffering on real Americans <laughs> you know like the laugher curve and stuff like that right like that was used to justify cuts That's to entitlement not, oh you're talking about you're not talking saying Charles Murray did the laugher curve because oh, that was some somebody he did laughing. the bell curve okay the he did the curve. bell curve even yeah. worse yeah. because he was basically like yeah, yeah art laugher black people are genetically curve. inferior yes. or culturally inferior okay even worse. Yeah. So he's absolutely inflicted pain on real Americans because people during, especially the Reagan years, but apparently even now, still take him seriously, mm -hmm. you know? Why shouldn't there, you, you can have free speech, but no one says there's no consequence to your free speech, right? Why shouldn't there be a consequence to being an asshole for the last 40 years, you know? Like, mm -hmm. especially when that consequence is like, what minor embarrassment honestly i mean what happened people yeah. shouted him down and didn't let him speak yeah great i hope that when he goes gets on his plane and flies back to california or new york or wherever he lives that he just sits there for a minute and, and thinks about how wow some people really hate my mm -hmm. ideas you know some yeah. people viscerally think, yes i find this disgusting why is that that would be nice. I would like to imagine that that's what happened. Probably yeah. it's not. Probably he just went on his plane back to wherever the fuck he came from yeah. and called it a day. But you know what I mean? Like, what's the what's wrong with that? Like, if you're if you have really ugly ideas, why shouldn't people say no? Because right now, because I feel like it's that same instinct of let's just hear both sides out that has led us to having like now like a fascist. I mean, I know he's not whatever kind of a fascist in the White House, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was like, oh, no, we need to hear both sides. We need to show Donald Trump speaking uh, when, you know, he's giving speeches for hours on MSNBC and stuff like that, right? Like, why couldn't we just say, actually, uh, these ideas are garbage and not within, like, a reasonable realm of debate for this country. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to listen to him. He's a joke. Goodbye. What if the media had marginalized him? The way, by the way, they did Bernie, nice, yeah. right? Uh, it's not like they're neutral, yeah. okay? Again, like you were saying, it's the left usually that suffers, mm. honestly, most of the time from this stuff. Yeah. And in, in real life, the media gets to do that all the time. So this is like a tiny space where a few students are exercising their right to do something like that. And that's what gets criticized as if it's like the worst thing in the world. And people will say, oh, I mean, it's ridiculous free speech on college campuses. I don't know. Like we, we graduated a while ago. I don't know exactly what it's like now, but I do fundamentally think like it's a unique space mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter in the grand context of America, you yeah. know? Yeah. Case closed. Well, I don't know. You apparently you don't agree or disagree. No, I think you make good points. Okay. Yeah. And I think we should hear all sides out. And yeah. Okay. So even if I disagreed with you, I would support to the death your right to say it. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think okay. I first heard that in like I Dream of Genie or something as a joke. <laughs> I, I do feel though, though that I'm more of a free speech absolutist. On the other hand, it really does only apply to the government. But and colleges are not government property. They're private. You and know. part of your Another free speech people... absolutism should include the free speech rights of yeah, students. Of protesters. Yeah. And, yeah. Another argument I don't have patience for is this idea that these are um, 
millennials who are used to a service culture who expect the college to pander to them like a business does, yeah. like Starbucks writing, I don't know, give peace a chance on their cups or whatever. Yeah. I don't have patience for that because I think actually it is partly true and it's awesome that they've radicalized that aspect of our society yeah. and turned it around, you know, to attack the institution. And to do good, right? To like, like apartheid style to now with, you know, um, uh, disinvesting uh, from, yeah. Yeah. That's Although that's good. still dangerous. How is that dangerous? Well, I mean, you don't get celebrated for supporting BDS. The colleges push back. They don't, uh, it's not like, it's easy, right? This is a criticism that I do consider meaningful. It's easy for elite students at an Ivy League school to say, we don't want Calhoun's name on that building. Yeah. The administration does put up a surprising fight, but only for like a month, and then they take yeah. it down. You know. Meanwhile, there are um, adjunct professors and service workers at the college yeah. who are just struggling to survive. Yes. And these students aren't doing as much for them as they are for this elite institution that they are part of yeah. to preserve its image in their own eyes by taking down these Absolutely. racist statues and monuments and names. So I think it is like, I think I like the tactics maybe, but I don't know that I totally agree with the perspective or the goals. I agree. But at the same time, I would say again, this is a place where you get to make mistakes and learn, you know, like, yeah. and you realize, oh, that was really shallow, that campus activism we're doing. Yeah. Why didn't we think about our professors, you yeah. know, our adjunct professors or the or people who are exactly feeding us, you know, yeah. I feel that way. When the, I think the, about some of my campus activism, yeah. too, like I was although, saying. Although there are some things that do happen. Like, I think it was when they were protesting the Calhoun building, um, one of the dining workers who was black, you know, listened to the students, right? And got really mad. Yeah. And busted, Through. like, stained yeah. glass window in the building. Yeah. And he got fired, and then students protested, and they brought him back Yeah. Home. So yeah. even though it's, it's also enjoyable to be, like, to find... To still support them, but still find a reason to criticize them. Mm -hmm. Like I just did. Oh, it's shallow. But, you know, that's it's not always shallow. And there is at least that instance of solidarity I can think of. Yeah. And it's also like sometimes when I hear like someone and they're like, oh, yeah, I just I didn't even think about politics until I was like 35 and blah, blah, blah. I think like, oh, man, then you've heard something like that. Yeah. From people we like, like people on podcasts we listen to. And I, I don't know about 35, like post-college. Okay, 30, yeah, post-college, yeah. yes, for sure. And I always think like, oh man, then you had to do a lot of learning because you started really late, you yeah. know? And that's why I'm saying like, that's a, like doing campus activism and the stuff I did in high school was even less meaningful. You know what I mean? But then you get that stuff out of your system. You learn, like, all those people, for example, that showed up to, like, the, you know, women's march. And they felt really good about themselves. That's yeah. just their first step. They're going to, if they continue with activism, they're going to look back on, like, a lot of us people who, like, regularly are have been involved with politics were like, I'm not going to go to a fucking march. Like, what? Like... You know, because it's not going to, what's the point yeah. of this march? It doesn't have an ask. It's not going to do anything, you know. Yeah. But some people, that's their first step. That was for those people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like in college, there are first steps you take, like deciding, wait, why did we go to a college with Calhoun yeah. on the name, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you learn, 
okay, actually, that was the first step. That didn't matter as much as some and of you the have other to, stuff that we should You be have to hear other on. students making that point if you're a student who's not that political. Yeah. And yet your peers, maybe some of your exactly. friends are getting political. You know, it's going to have an effect on yeah. you. I think that's something that gets overlooked a Absolutely, lot. because actually as an organizer, that was something I thought about all the time was like, kind of the steps to getting someone into mm-hmm. being an activist and like the lowest bar is having them come yeah. to like a rally or an event or yeah. meet the congress person or whoever you know like you were talking about college as a place to make mistakes and if i were a conservative you know i'd say well you're trying to ostracize people from your community including students if for saying like the wrong thing on social media four years ago digging it up and shaming them with it and chastising them and making them a pariah. Is that happening? Yeah, I mean, uh, def- like, come on, social media outrage. People, yeah, I guess. Justine yeah. Sacco or whatever. People yeah, saying yeah. the wrong thing or making a joke that maybe is insensitive and then losing their jobs. Or I'm sure if you're in college and you might you make a mistake like that, there's a chance you'll lose friends or connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, on the other hand, shame is also a productive builder of community, mm. right? You know, that's why the Puritans were into it, because yeah. it created a strong community where everybody is moving in the same direction Yeah. by, you know, uh, um, strongly uh, chastising people who don't and making examples out of them. So mm, I, I think that maybe gets overlooked. It's weird to stand up and say, like, no, we should chastise people and exile them from our social communities. But I think it does have a, it does have a benefit. Yeah, so shame is also, make like a can be what, yeah, well, shame can also be what, like, I mean, for example, like, you know, leads you to stand up for some, like, the idea that you would have to live with yourself knowing you didn't stand up for someone else yeah. Is also like that comes from shame too, you know. Like mm-hmm. those people who like got stabbed recently, like in Portland and stuff. Those those guys could have just sat on the bus and not done anything, right? Yeah. For those women, but they were like, I couldn't live with the shame that I watched this man attack this Muslim woman, yeah. and so they stood up to do something to protect her. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, it was an extremely tragic result, but. Yeah. You know, that's an instance, I think, to some extent, where shame was admirable, you yeah. know? Yeah. I I can't uh, totally defend, like, a shame-based politics. I don't think that's no, a good No, I thing. don't. I, don't think I also don't think it's good to have a politics that's all about saying and believing the right things. No, absolutely. But I just think that these, um, the fact that there are people on campus being very active um, has an effect on people in the campus that are less so, that is yeah. positive. That introduces them to left exactly. politics. In the absence of this, um, you know, we're having more and more trans people come out. And yeah. if there wasn't, you know, young people standing up to the older people in their campus to make room for, you know, social change, then students who are less plugged in could grow up and be older and not have any, you know, liberal leftist opinion about that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and not be aware like there's so many issues that i became aware of on our campus because someone was like really passionate about it and doing something about it you Mm -hmm. know that i wouldn't have necessarily like even like the school of americas 
Yeah. Like, when we went down for that protest, like, when our friend told me what it was about, I was like, is That's this a conspiracy yeah. thing? It sounds like, like it. You I know? know? Yeah. I had never heard of it. I didn't know what she was talking about. I looked it up, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I have to go. Of course, I have to go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, See, so, I grew up knowing all that stuff. And I know, like, Freddie DeBoer did, too. So maybe it's easier for people like that to criticize student activism. Yeah, I mean, it is kids. shallow. These I know, it is shallow, for mistakes. sure. Like, I'm not saying it's the most productive it could be, and that there aren't ways to improve it. Student activism in general. Of course there are, but also students are there to do other things besides be activists. I mean, we also have to be realistic about that. Sometimes if it's between going, yeah. you know, to a march or finishing a paper, you might just have to finish that paper no matter how passionate mm-hmm. you are, you know? Yeah. Like... Or if your teacher is like, no, I'm not going to let you miss class because you're going to a protest or whatever, yeah. you know, sometimes you don't have a choice. Like, it depends Plus, how many absences you have. Yeah. Plus, college kids now still have a much bigger awareness of class issues yeah. than when we were their age. And we're not even that much older. Yeah. So if we're criticizing them for being like having a shallow performative woke politics at the same time, they have more class awareness than, you know, people direct more directly in our cohort. Yeah. But I also yeah, think... When you talk to your... Especially when we talk to many of our friends who are the same age... Yeah. About... Um, I don't know. Fuck it. I shouldn't even... <laughs> what? Well, I'm just surprised sometimes some of the views that our friends have when we try to talk to them about... Like, we have friends who don't know that they shouldn't like Ayn Rand because it's bullshit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very difficult sometimes to understand how that happens. <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, we grew up in a more apolitical age somehow. Yeah. I didn't feel that way. I know you didn't feel that yeah. way. But. but a lot of people. But that's also maybe how we found each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but again, I think like you start on campus. It's, that shouldn't. That's the beginning of your politics, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe high school or middle school or whatever, like you with your dad, you know, you had an earlier start. I did too, but, you know, I think a lot of people start in college and then they keep moving forward, moving forward until they get to good politics, right? Like, but, you know, I mean, we were even listening to R.L. Stevens talking on Chapo this mm-hmm. week. And it's like, he was talking about how when he got out of college, he was all yeah. woke and stuff, right? And then he realized, oh, this is not good politics. This doesn't work in the real world. Can't so, check the privilege of my boss exactly. when she's being racist at me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thinking that I'm going to steal it. So, but it, was it important for him to have some framework, some basis of ideas about power and yeah. whatever? Yes, that was the, that was the start. Then after that, you, you keep moving forward. You keep building better politics and learning better strategies and hopefully working with better people to help you, you know, actually, like, gain power in outside of just the college campus. But I just don't see... I don't know. I'm just so skeptical of anything that shits on students who are not the most powerless people on campus. Obviously, that's probably, like, the minimum wage cafeteria workers mm-hmm. and stuff. But, you know, certainly when we think of, like between them and the, and the administration they're much more powerless yeah. and they're taking a risk even yeah. if people think they're not and when it's between them and you know a, adults who like have stupid job titles like vp of whatever you know like yeah i'm gonna be on the side of the students yeah. you know like yeah how about this this is going back to the like shame-based performative politics thing a bit 
But what about the argument that um, this is like creating a backlash, I guess you could say. Like if you go on poll on 4chan, they feel like they have been radicalized by social justice warriors and feminism creeping into their video games and their comic books. And they feel like they have been driven out of those spaces and now they've made this new space where they are exploring ideas like racism and misogyny <laughs> and trad wives. Um, I, I just don't buy that at all because I think like that suggests uh, that there would there's a more perfect world where uh, we could somehow talk to everyone and get everyone to agree with us on every topic. And if we just hadn't been so militant as feminists to suggest that we need more representation of women in video games, then these boys wouldn't be misogynists now, you know? And it's like... I'm not arguing not to do those things. Just, I think the argument is that it's done in a way that is alienating to people. But I don't think it matters. that makes them feel excluded or... Like, you're trying to shame them, right? Uh, I saw somebody sharing on poll recently something that Ted Kaczynski wrote about where liberals get it wrong. And one of the big points of view is that, like, liberals want to feel Ted shamed. Kaczynski, the Unabomber. The Unabomber, okay, yeah. Got it, got it. Just want to be clear. <laughs> yeah. But he has some good things to say, to be fair. <laughs> uh, that is not a podcast official opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, what he one of the things he was saying about liberals... And, you know, I'm just, the person who reposted this obviously Uh is saying the same thing. So we don't have to just attribute it to the Unabomber. Okay. That liberals like want, they, they like want to feel shame. That's like the idea of liberals being cucks, I guess. Uh, That like, um, blame America first or whatever. Like all the, I'm naming nebulous ideas that go in the same direction Uh somewhat, I feel like. Um, Whereas conservatives are repulsed by the compulsion to feel shame and they will not allow any shame into their bodies. Mm -hmm. So we are driving them away from potentially taking our point of view or getting closer to it by having a tactic that is just like too aggressive. Okay, but so is the goal here that someday we will live in a society where everybody (laughs) agrees with our point of view? Because I feel like that's kind of like the underlying sentiment of that statement it's like okay obviously we're right i don't know who exactly we is the left let's say broadly and if we could just find a way to Mm. talk to these people that didn't make them feel shame and made them feel pride and therefore you know we could get them on our side but i think and i feel like maybe maybe it's because i'm reading the reactionary mind so maybe yeah but i think that there are will always be people who will find a way to be reactionary yeah. against whatever your ideas totally. are. I was thinking the same thing. And that, therefore, even though I think we have the right ideas, obviously, like, I think by right ideas, I mean ideas that would make the world better for the most amount of people, like materially mm-hmm. better, you yeah. know. I don't ever expect to live in a world where there won't be someone who has ideas that don't jive with mine or who is reacting and you know being reactionary mm-hmm. against what we even if we had like a ideal world some people will still be you know reacting yeah. against that yeah i know i agree with that i i hate the argument that like um we just need to have a discussion or an open debate about an issue in our society yeah what like all 
350 million Americans are going to sit around the dinner table and respectfully talk to one another at I know. a communal I don't even, Thanksgiving. I don't even understand what it yeah. means when people say we need to have a conversation in our society. Yeah. Like, how? We when? are. Did this we ever is what have it is. one? This yeah. is what it looks like, is doing actions that then other people have to respond, respond to. Respond to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also, I mean, I was thinking, the only kind of argument that I have any time for at all is when people say that people on the left can be alienating to other people on the left because it there's like a performance as a performative politics of I know the correct yeah there's definitely terms to I mean, use we talk about how yeah there's an aspect where now what it means to have to be left or liberal is just to have the correct opinion and to demonstrate to other people how you had the correct opinion and it's been correct the whole time you and, were never wrong and about you it. consumed the correct media, right? Like how everyone was yes queening all over the place and stuff. It was like signaling, yeah. like I'm part of this cohort. It's very important to that's liberal you cultural know? blackface. It's very important. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, it's <laughs> awful. Yeah, so I that's the only one where I think like people, but I don't know that that's just college campuses. I would say that's more of a Twitter culture thing, where people on Twitter tend to like cannibalize each other when someone you know, doesn't say the right thing or doesn't behave the right way. You know, I've certainly, I think I've talked before in the podcast about my experience with, uh, what's his name? Who? Uh, Tree. What's his name? He's a Harvard guy who writes for the New York Times. He's a black guy. He's bald. Um. Charles Tree. No, Opal, Opal, Opal Tree. <laughs> These are not names. <laughs> Fuck. I've like totally I used to really like What him. was the argument? I might remember if you I used to really like his writing okay. and I followed him on Twitter early days when I didn't know much about Twitter at all. And then he wrote something about like white guilt and white privilege or something like that. And then some woman responded underneath. Oh right. And she said something like that she wasn't around during, I don't know, slavery or whatever, so she shouldn't have white guilt. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I said, in two tweets, yeah. which I guess was my mistake, I don't yeah. know, that I said something like... First tweet, like you said, as an Eastern European immigrant. immigrant I also wasn't here for that. Yeah. And, and then it was like dot, dot, dot. But I benefit from white privilege... Second tweet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, so I was trying to explain, basically, his argument in a way that maybe would make sense to this Mm -hmm. woman who wasn't previously, like, driving with it. And as a white person, like, talk to another white person, you know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we can connect. And also just to be like, look, you're an American and you're saying I wasn't there, but you have ancestry. I'm telling you, my ancestors were busy in Eastern Europe. Like, I have no connection to this shit. And yet I still benefit from that legacy. And he retweeted it with a comment like, Eastern Europeans be acting like they're not racist or something. (laughs) It was like, yeah, I mean, he basically, no, he said like, this is the problem or something. (laughs) Like, and I was like, what? And I kept tweeting at him like, please, like retweet the second tweet. I don't want everyone, because obviously he's a huge platform. Yeah. And because he's like a New York Times writer and shit. And I didn't want like everyone to think that I was racist. Jamel Smith? No, Charles, Charles. I was Charles. Something with a tree, I feel like, in his name. But anyway, (laughs) 
the point is that um, it was really upsetting to me because I was like, wow, like, he's not truly, he's not being, what I realized was that it was fine to him to cut down someone who was lower than him to make the point that he was a, he was more correct more liberal and correct than, than this some white fictional version of what you were saying. Yeah, of yeah. a white Eastern European immigrant, yeah. right? Because also, like so you were, like wasn't... I was very upset about it, and you were like a little confused. Like you're like, it's fine, it's not that big of a deal. And I was like, no, it sucks because Eastern it, Europeans. It always sucks when it happens to you. I know, but also I mentioned being like Eastern European. Eastern Europeans are oftentimes portrayed as dumb, hairy, with gold chains, yeah. and racist, yeah. you know? Like, wearing tracksuits, but being racist. Yeah. So, like, it was crazy to me that he essentially, like, turned me into a stereotypical, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know, it was like, it was, okay, And anyway. this was in no way a discussion or a debate. No, is, I was just, yeah. resp- I was under his thing. I wasn't challenging him. I was no, just no, responding. No, no, he wasn't discussing anything with you. It was, the, his point wasn't like, we should have a discussion and I'll explain to this young Eastern no, European yeah. woman that she's wrong. It was... No, and then after that, had, I yeah. kept tweeting at him like, see my second tweet, yeah. please see my second tweet. He didn't respond and then he went on and tweeted about yeah. something else. It's like turning your, um, a, your, con- your conversation that never fully happened... Which is, you know, an act that happens between two people, taking it into just an object that has no relation to you as the person who was saying it. And And, yeah, it wasn't about having a debate over ideas. No, but what's worse is it chilled my speech, right? Then it made me feel really, really cautious about ever responding to another person's tweet again without like being scared that I was somehow going to say something wrong and then be yeah. shamed for it, yeah. you know? Even though I will still, I didn't say anything wrong, but that's not the <laughs> point, you know? I was shamed for it, so yeah. it felt, like, really bad, and it made me feel like I don't want to interact with other people now and share my ideas, you know? And I think that happens on the left with much smaller instances than that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. even, like, people using the wrong pronouns or whatever i mean i think it's important to try and use the right pronouns but you know sometimes people make mistakes like yeah i'm somebody who really i do like to get angry and yell at people online but more often i'm willing to try to talk to a conservative person that i disagree with yeah but it doesn't matter i don't think it really matters well i mean actually in that instance i had a bunch of people like pile on afterwards retweeting and i tweeted the second tweet at every single one of them and i had a bunch of them immediately respond back with oh whoops sorry you know so you're reliving it all over no because my point is that actually i think a lot of people like you're saying like are happy to get outraged but also are are more than willing to actually like work things out and like talk you know Mm -hmm. But once that happens to you once, it's hard not to, like, once you're burned, you know, it's hard not to feel scared to engage the next time. Mm-hmm. And I I would say that that's the one thing where, like, free speech on the left uh, yeah. is difficult, could have some improvements. Like, I think people should, in general, on the left, be more willing to engage with conservatives or yeah. whoever and not be so worried about whether they 
said things correctly as much as what they're saying because i think sometimes there is common ground but I, I think that's not just you said you were saying earlier maybe that's just twitter i don't yeah. think it is also but is it college I think it, campuses i think it bleeds into the real world and also the internet is the real world anyway it is real life Oh, yeah, no. I don't speak in 140 characters. You know, when I, if I could have sat down with him and had a discussion, that would have been a much different reaction Mm -hmm. and interaction than where he can take one tweet and move on with his day and fuck up my day. But I think everybody who's political is forming their politics partly online. Yeah. If not wholly, completely, largely. But having discussions, this is why we do this. This is why we have a discussion as opposed to just making this a twitter account or something yeah i'm just saying i think not nearly as productive really and that when you're talking to someone whether they're on the left or on the right and if they say something incorrectly or they call chelsea manning bradley manning or he or whatever just because they messed up not because they're trying to be an asshole with people on the right yeah just because they messed up just look for the humanity in people mm-hmm. and try to connect on that level as opposed to policing yeah. and, and probably, deciding, well, this person isn't worth yeah. my time. And, and probably and people do, I would assume, especially off of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. But I think but, online people are probably not as yeah. willing to do that. I would argue, I think that, um, there is a place for respect in your politics, especially when you're, you know, trying to bring people along or, um, you know, organize them or whatever. And maybe it's underrated. At the same time, there are spaces where respect, there's no room for respect. When uh, Betsy DeVos is giving your commencement speech, there's no reason to be respectful. She's not a person to you. You're not going to talk to her afterwards. She's not going to, you know, take down your phone number so you can call her if you have a problem. When uh, Bill Clinton came to our college to speak, it was, in terms of being in the same space as another person, the least human connection I've ever had, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He just came up, delivered a speech, walked off, did a photo op, and left. Yeah. Like, there's no humanity in it, so yeah. there's no room for respect. Yeah. Turn your back to these people. Yeah. Uh, it's only the people who, like, are bootlickers who would say, uh, you're being disrespectful. Yeah, this is yeah. not the way we should behave yeah, in a I situation like that. Yeah, I had students that I was organizing who were like, what if we, like, Governor Corbett from PA was coming to speak at their co- commencement? Mm. And they're like, what if we, like, stood up and turned our backs to him while he spoke? And I was like, yes, Yes. do it, you (laughs) know? Because, again, he has free speech. They're not impeding on his free speech, right? He's talking. He has a platform. He gets to say what he wants. No one's shutting him down. I mean, even if they did yell him down, I would have also been okay with that because he's still the governor. He has... Yeah, he's fine. Fine, yeah. Yeah. His family for generations will go to Ivy League schools and be rich. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they were, like, all against fracking. That's what we were, like, all about. Right. And they wanted to do that. And it's like, yeah, that's them exercising their free speech in the same space as him. That's fine. It's great, too. That's, like, a great... (laughs) It's so cool because we've came to the conclusion that certain rights are inalienable rights because they literally cannot be taken away from your person. Nobody can stop you from having the right to think or the right to speak, you know, even if you have to face consequences for it. Yeah. It's literally inalienable from your body. But when you're in that audience and there's a commencement speaker, you're put in this social position where you're supposed to assume the role of just like a passive listener who's sitting here and, and seeing all Yeah, seeing all of your opportunity to speak and share your views to this um editor from USA Today <laughs> who came to your school to tell you about how to be an adult in the real world. 
when all of us in a situation like that should be standing up and going, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Why do I care? Yeah. Also, you know? why is this three hours long? Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Those students are are uh, asserting their the fact of their existence in this room yeah. by standing up and turning and their backs on her. And that's offensive. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like we were talking about before, you know, you're not smarter than feelings or, yeah. or like symbol like the, the the symbolism that that creates the feelings that people it will stir in other students other the faculty yeah the parents are important like it people will be upset mm-hmm. but that's good you know that's the whole point because these students are upset and they're expressing that both quietly and loudly by yeah. you know doing something that's such a clear easy to interpret symbolic act, yeah. you know? I And I love the idea of, like you said, Charles Murray or Betsy DeVos flying home first class or maybe just business class for Charles Murray <laughs> <laughs> and just sitting there uncomfortable thinking, why don't people like me? Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. Or the idea of Trump getting upset because comedians are mad, like making yeah. fun of him. Yeah. Yeah. I like those ideas. Yeah. So I think it's great. There should definitely be like room to look for other people's humanity especially when you're interacting with them one-on-one or even online if you can depending on the context but at the same time when someone comes into your community honestly in some ways like it is like into your house like you live Mm. on campus you do your laundry there you eat there you it's like someone coming yeah it's like someone coming to your house and if someone comes to your house that you don't like, you're allowed to say, I don't want you here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Now we have to extend those rights to the workplace. That's the next Yes, thing. of course. Yeah. Because like... if you're just like working at a banquet where Betsy DeVos is and you like refuse to serve her, you're just oh, going to get fired. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. That's the next step. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I definitely think their students could have better politics. We should absolutely expand these rights happen. to other It'll people. Happen. But... You know, again, this is just a first step. Like, I think I almost feel like people are trying to, like, jump ahead of the line sometimes. That's how we say it in Macedonian, like, precurit. Like, they're trying to go ahead of the line. It's like sometimes you have to do things sometimes in order. And this Mm -hmm. is just the first step for most people. I would love if college students came as fully formed activists onto campus with perfect, you know, political views and, Mm -hmm. you know, thoughts. But that's just not the reality. And that's okay because this is why they have college to go to. This is a stop where they learn before they go into the real world about economics or political science or English or whatever, and also activism, also how to do their laundry and, you know, live Mm -hmm. around other people. Like, I mean, there's a lot of basic fundamental things they're learning at the same time. It's okay that they're not going to have fully formed ideas. That's not what they're there for. Yeah, they're like 19 and 20. Yeah. And if they come there with fully formed ideas, I mean, some people are like that. I imagine Ted Cruz did not expand his views. And look at him now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we've been going on and on long enough, so I think we should just cut it here. Call it a day. Done. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye.